Welcome to episode 276 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Are you looking for a space where you can ask questions, get support, find friends, get referrals, and celebrate your wins? Content is not enough, which is why you're not looking for yet another evergreen online course. Introducing the Content and Connection Club, which was created to foster an intentional community of abundant-minded entrepreneurs because relationships that grow from regularly reconnecting are so valuable and harder to find these days. I created this membership community for you if you are keen to learn strategies for business growth, like product market fit, lead generation, and sales conversations. You want to get strategies for networking online and at in-person events and improving your virtual event engagement and presentation skills. Sign up for the Content and Connection Club to experience networking with fellow entrepreneurs every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern at No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours online discussion forum topics that will help you grow your business, access to courses worth thousands of dollars where you can dig into that content at any time, ongoing training and tips from me on these topics, and answers to your specific questions during the extensive live Q&A session every Friday. You'd be surprised the cost is only $10 a month if you join before the end of April 2022. The price will go up to $25 a month for everyone who joins after May 1st. Sign up at contentandconnectionclub.com. That's contentandconnectionclub.com. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest teaches women how to be badass entrepreneurs. She believes women have the power to change their financial picture by building profit in their business. She specializes in supporting successful six-figure service-based business owners to make profit a priority using her proprietary crush formula. She's a profit coach and money-making strategist with over 14 years in PR and marketing, finance strategy, and business development. She's the host of She Needs Grit, a podcast for entrepreneurs to explore, learn about, and implement actionable takeaways in each of the four pillars of business success, grit, confidence, strategy, and simplicity. Each client she works with has a different story, but her heart lights up when she sees her clients truly understand they're able to create the reality of their dreams. Please join me in welcoming Samantha Varner. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Samantha, I am so excited you're joining us from your place in Katy, Texas. As you know, there's a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, How do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Okay. So to start with the definition of leadership, I think is um, leading by example, right? It is demonstrating that skill and providing that knowledge so that somebody can watch and follow you. I think so often we see leadership where somebody is telling us what to do as opposed to showing us that we can do it. So I think that's the sign of a good leader, which I think is clearly the definition. Um, In terms of when I knew I was a good leader, I'm actually going to start with when I realized I needed to learn 
a little bit more about leadership. So a hundred years ago, when the dinosaurs were roaming, I was in charge of a sales team for an electricity provider. They were doing um, contracts and I was in charge of the sales team. And I was, I was a baby. I was, I'm trying to think, I was probably 20 and I was in charge of seven or eight salespeople and trying to motivate them and trying to lead them and doing it where they were in a situation where it was a base plus commission. So the base was a very comfortable number for anybody that was that age, right? We were young, we needed money for weekend fun. That's all we needed and to pay the rent. And so they were less than motivated in their role. And I was not at all effective at that time. Like I can look back on that and cringe with how poorly I managed. There was like, me trying to rah, 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 and that didn't work. And then me kind of getting frustrated, me kind of holding them accountable to things that I had no power to hold them accountable to. And so I look at that and that was where I think I learned I needed to learn how to be a leader. So that's where it started. Um, And that's where I started doing more personal development, more exploration of business, more understanding and watching who I saw that was good leaders and emulating them as opposed to whatever my crazy 20-year-old ideas were that didn't work. So that's where going leadership back. started with me. So, so uh, Samantha, going back to your definition then and weaving it into this current story, I'm curious, had you started out being one of those frontline people who had to make sales and then you got elevated to this role? Okay, you're nodding along. So um, what motivated you to get sales? enough so that they identified you as a person that could be a good leader? For me, it sales has always been a bit of a game. It's always been a challenge, right? I like the challenge. I like seeing my name at the top of the leaderboard. I liked being able to come back to the van like we were you know, shuffling around in a van. And I really liked being the person who was like, here's all the contracts I signed today. That was really motivational for me. What I didn't realize is that you don't have that same control over your results when you're dealing with other people. You have to figure out what motivates them. And at that point, I had no concept. I was like, why aren't you motivated? You should be just like me. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. they were not. And that was that was the lesson. That's an interesting lesson at such a young age for you to realize like individual motivations matter. I actually had a similar awareness around that at same age. I was, I was in a, um, a group in college and... I was became like the the head of the group mm-hmm. and I was trying to organize this major conference and we had a lot of really apathetic members. And yeah. so I spent a lot of time being like, what's the thing that you're really excited about? And I remember I found one person and I put them in charge of figuring out who the DJ was going to be. And that lit them up. Like that was, that was a huge project for them. I was like, it's a nuisance for me. Yeah. <laughs> like I just want it done. And, you know, I found someone else to f- help us figure out the catering. Like, Everyone had to like, but it really was such a nuanced thing because I had a different kind of motivation, but I have to just roll back the clock a little bit further to maybe even before the dinosaurs were on the earth. Um, Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. So like who, who's Samantha on the playground? Because for you to be a person who gets a role like that at 20, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's like, what were you like growing up? You know, did you help organize your friends? Did you run for office? Were you like a you know, in high school, the person that people like look to for leadership opportunities, captain of things like, you know, who were you before, before like that level of schooling ended? I think 
I think I'd have to credit probably the first part of that is the birth order. I am the oldest of five kids. There was me, there is me, then there's triplets that were two years younger than me. And then my youngest sister came on the scene. And I think realistically being in a really big family and being the oldest of the family, I felt like I was in charge of the operation right from being a little kid. I wasn't in charge of the operation, but it did kind of put me in that position of rallying the troops and getting everybody to do the thing, getting them to comply with whatever I wanted to play, whatever games I wanted to do. Um, There was a lot of times I can look back and think about that was a huge part of it. Then after that, after kind of bossing around my siblings and having, having them be my, my people, um, I think from there, I went to a small high school. So I think it was more, I wasn't, I definitely was not a sports team captain. That was not a thing that I was doing, but I do think I was probably the one who was rallying the social activities. I was the person who was driving a lot of the mischief perhaps would be a good word. Um, but I think it was like, I was kind of the energy and was able to kind of magnetize people to me and have them come along with my shenanigans. And so that was probably a huge part of it. Um, I've always been a person who stays really connected. I, I have moved from Canada to Australia now to Texas, and that has created a need for me to be able to recreate myself. And I think that started earlier, right? When you move from a really small town and you go to university in the city, that's a big move when you knew everybody from when you were little. And then all of a sudden you're in this big, you know, big classrooms with huge amounts of kids and stuff. Um, and just getting very comfortable being bold and being out there and being involved and then developing those relationships. So I think it probably started from bossing my siblings and just moved straight on up. Um, the word bossy, right. And how it's used against little girls still even today. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, yeah. so it's, it's such a, in a way, like you want your kids to be compliant, but not too compliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I want them have to a, be compliant a, when they live at my house and I'm the mom. Yes. Because that makes my life easier. But out in the world, I want them to be yeah. have their own opinions and share those and be strong and bold in their thoughts. But I would prefer when I say put away your laundry, you do indeed put away your laundry. That would be I know. It's so hard because they have to find places to practice these things. <laughs> yeah. And it's always at home. It's always at home. It's mm-hmm. the safest place to do it. So uh, this idea though of magnetizing and attracting the people to you, that's such a form of leadership as well. Um, Not, you know, a a formal title type of leadership, but people seek out like, oh, what's, you know, what's Samantha doing? Oh, let's all do that. You know, that you, you kind of create like an authority in that way that people are like looking, looking to you for the social aspect of their lives, perhaps, or the mischief making of their lives. Yeah. Um, And then you went to university. Did you have a strong sense of what you were going to do? Did you like, how, how did you sort of stumble in? Because you ended up doing sales while you were still in university, right? So did, like, yeah. how did how did you sort of find that path? Was that already a clear thing? It's interesting to think back. I, I would say actually, no, I went to university. Um, I went to university really contemplating doing law was my original thought. Um I loved law and order. Like, I think it was literally like watching a lot of like legal movies and thinking like, that looks fantastic. Um, And when I got there, I realized how much I loved the communication side of things. So I did the communications marketing PR. That was kind of my realm. And even at that point, I wasn't exactly sure that that was what I 
wanted to do, especially the courses offered at university. So I took some time off. I went to, I went to a sales job and I was selling pool tables, right? So when you look back, like everywhere along the way, I was in a sales role until I, um, went and did a post-grad in PR. And that's where I really dug into the academic side of it and being really interested in that piece. And that's when I figured out that's what I wanted to do. Now, I use bits and pieces of that in what I do today, but that was the first part where I was like, yes, I want to work in PR. I want to deal with people like this. This is how I want to deal with things, clients and stuff. Having this really random memory come of working (laughs) at a restaurant, um, Mm -hmm. I was working at a chain restaurant called Bertucci's and uh, Italian themed family, you know, themed restaurant here in the States. Yeah. And um, they, ha- I've discovered that there was this like weekly sheet that got posted that had stats that no one ever really paid attention to, but there was a yeah. section for wine sold. And somehow I discovered that if you sell a half carafe of wine, it counts as a bottle on this sheet. And if you have two yeah. people, you can sell two half carafes to the table and they each get two and a half glasses of wine. And if they don't agree on red or they don't agree on white, like yeah. I'm like, Hey, why don't you each get one of your own? <laughs> and they always did it. And it, like the amount of money wasn't much for the, cust- the customer. They got exactly what they wanted, but I started racking up, you know, these amazing numbers in the wine column. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, like you said, I thought it was just kind of a fun game to yeah. do it. Like it was great customer service. It got me good tips, but it also, you know, the management was like, what? what's going on here? Like, how are you doing this? I'm like, I'm just suggesting this. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like that idea that, you know, what some of us find sort of easy or fun, they play with it. Other people are so petrified of sales, even people who have great things to sell and great value to offer the world, like the selling part really stumps them. So um, it sounds like you've had a lot of, I mean, selling pool tables. I I did chimney sweeping over the phone. You basically tell people their house is going to go on fire. And then right. they buy chimney sweeping. Um, <laughs> so, you it know, you've like had a, good, a sales call there, right? Like yeah. it's kind of a given. Yeah. You it's like, hey, by no? the way. Okay. <laughs> so you've had a variety of sales things. At what point did you decide I, I'm not going to stay employed. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Cause that is a really big shift. Even mm-hmm. if you love sales, selling for someone else, a product that has been proven in the marketplace, such a different thing than trying to create something from nothing, find an audience and sell to them. So when did that start to shift for you? I think it's an, it was always there. I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I grew up, my dad owned his own construction company. So I was knee deep in watching him run a business. Um, and so I always thought, Oh, I like that. But it took me a while. It took me to the point where we had, um, I had worked a number of jobs, number of corporate jobs, and my husband got a job offer in Australia. So we were in Calgary. He got a job offer in Australia. We were there within like six weeks. It was a turnaround from like, hey, would you to, hey, we're moving. Um, We moved to Australia. I requalified at that point. I was doing personal and business finance stuff. So I had to get all of my licensing and requirements and all of that sort of thing. So we moved to Australia. I did all of that to be able to work corporately in Australia, had two kiddos. So I had my youngest two boys. And then um, Mike came home and said, hey, we have an offer. We could go live in Houston. And I'm like, 
Houston, Texas, USA. What? Because I, my Australian qualifications were again going to be very useless in the US. My Canadian qualifications were useless in the US. And so it was me having to think about going all the way back and doing it all again in a new country. So when we got here, and that was eight years ago now, I was, I had a very young, I had a very young family at that point, but my youngest was eight weeks old. And I was like, I am doing something different. That's the plan. So over the next two years, while he was kind of a toddlery little person, um, and my other kids were getting a little bit older, but they were all pretty close. Um, I started thinking about how I could do it and what I could build that would be like a turtle business. So I kind of think of it like it's a, I'm a turtle with my shell. It comes with me and I don't have to requalify. I don't have to do licensing wherever I am. So that's when it really shifted as more than just a pipe dream of, I want to be an entrepreneur eventually to now I'm going to build a thing. And so that's, that's how that came to. So a little bit out of necessity, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people I've talked to started uh, business and you know a downfall of the economy. Um, you know, a lot a lot of people do that. And for you, it was like the fact that you had to keep requalifying your your licensing and you're moving countries left and right. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to? I love this idea of turtle business and like you want to be able to take it with you um, and also build something while you had a young family. I my um, I left my day job the same year, like the actually almost a year to the date before we had our first kid. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, you know, left knowing that we were trying to start a family, starting mm-hmm. a business. And then I was an at-home dad for, you know, the first, uh, I guess like five years of first one kid and then a second kid, because that was what you do when you're, when yeah. you got a business and you're slowly building it. Yeah. You can um, do that on the side and diapers over here or whatever. Yeah. That yeah. You just kind of right? manage it. Yeah. Um, so it's, but it sounds like you were trying to take all your experience and all your qualifications and channel it to a new audience. And of course you had this influence from your family, but Mm -hmm. you'd been around the entrepreneurial sort of side of the world. Like it wasn't completely a foreign concept to you, which I think, I think helps. Did you know other people who did this work though, who were like peers or did you have to develop those connections? I really didn't. I, I think I was starting to kind of pay attention to online businesses and how that was structured, right? It was starting to become more and more um, just in my wheelhouse of knowledge. And then I started looking for how can I do this? So I originally had started with the concept that I was going to do money coaching for individuals primarily and found a coaching program that allowed me to see it was, it wasn't teaching the financial fundamentals, that piece I already knew. But what I didn't know is how to actually create a business and like, what structure do you do? How do you charge people? What does it even look like? And so I went through, um, I went through the financial coach Academy and did their program. And that gave me, I feel like the building blocks of both, how could you do it? And also people who were indeed doing it. And so that I could see the community and see them. And then it just blew I think the top off of it, of me being like, okay, there we go. Something is happening. Now I just need to figure out how I want to create it myself. And it ended up where it is today. Yeah. It feels like you had to first be able to see it so you can put your mm-hmm. arms around it. So you yeah, can then exactly. like run with it. Yeah. It totally makes sense. I mean, it's such an amorphous idea in, in some ways, and yet we live in this space. So after a while yeah. you get used to <laughs> what that looks like and feels like. Um, yeah. 
sure. What a great way to, I want to just underscore for people who are listening. Like if you're trying to find community in a new space, joining a reputable training program or certification yeah. program, which will attract quality people, that cohort will then become a great community and a great network to like build from, collaborate with, learn from, ma- you know, masterminds, accountability partners, right? Like there's all those opportunities oh, that come yeah. when you find the right kind of peer group. But, mm-hmm. you know, I imagine there are some challenges. <laughs> um, always, always there are. There's some challenges. I'm curious, like, so there was the content side of things. There was a figure yeah. out how to set up the business. There was a fact that you had a young family. Like, what were those earliest challenges that you you were trying to overcome? And like, how did you, like, how, how did people really, I always think that people are an answer to so many of our challenges. Like, mm-hmm. were there people that stepped into your life that helped you kind of find the right resources or find the right next steps? Um. There were, I mean, I think that you speaking of community and like taking advantage of the people that you do meet along the way that are appropriate, like that are either ahead of you or at the same point as you was really critical. So I dove really into the community within that, within the Financial Coach Academy. Two of the people in particular, I am on like a weekly call still to this day, which was, that was 20... 2017, I think that we first met and just being able to have that support and being able to see then, I mean, the joy of social media now, right. Is I can see what is she doing? What is she doing? And who does she know? Right. And, you know, you get a vision, whereas before social media, we didn't have an availability unless people said like, Hey, I know this person and they're amazing. You didn't know that. Now you can see like, ooh, I have how many people in common in the same kind of thread? And I make a point of doing that. I make a point of communicating with people or reaching out. I'm pretty bold when it comes to, hey, I think you might know something I need to know, or you might be able to help me. I have absolutely no qualms with sending a cold email or a message to somebody to say like, I've been following you. You're amazing. I have this one question. Is there you know, is there a direction you could point me in or a resource you think would be fantastic or whatever? Um, And that served me really, really well because you don't know what you don't know. And people are often willing to share if you come at them in a way of a very like gentle way, right? You're not asking to pick their brain. You're asking for a specific thing that you need that you are pretty sure they know but you haven't been able, you took the time to look and make sure that it doesn't exist already on their profile or whatever, because that's a huge factor, I think, in making people feel important. And when we feel important, we like helping people, we like sharing, and we like giving value where we can. So that's been massive. And you just underscored it for me, the, the, the framing you just said about you know being specific about a question. Um, and, and saying like, I looked at your other resources. I was trying mm-hmm. to figure this one thing out. It's not asking for someone's time. And those are the kinds of, you know, simple requests that, you know, if we can do it and it takes us less than, less than five, I mean, way less than five minutes. If we know exactly where that resource lives, mm-hmm. um, I always feel good when I get that kind of email and I can, I can like point them to a video I made or some yeah. other resource I've created. And I know that there's content that's completely buried in my site or buried in my YouTube. It's, you know, it's hard for everything to be the surface. And, right. you know, you're right. Like, and now of course you're fast forward. You're now in a position where I'm sure people reach out to you for that, yeah. you know, specific question and all that. So that's kind of fun to see the journey. Um, I love that you're sort of describing 
how those relationships have moved on. And like, even now you're still in touch with these people and what a, what a collaborative spirit there must be um, in this community and like leveraging social media. And I, I, I wanted to ask in a moment, I'm going to ask you more about networking, but I'm actually kind of curious how you started to define who your ideal client or likely prospect was, because it sounds like initially, you know, there was maybe the like, I'm going to help people with their personal finances. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's just like, this is an area like the, the, the topic that you are knowledgeable of is an area that is like flooded with people offering advice and coming at it from such different places. Like, you know, you've got the people who work for a firm, so they really want to sell you a product, whether you need it or not. Right. Um, it's free, but then they're like, here's all the sales at the end. Um, yeah. There are the individual people who are not like yourself, who are not tied to a company, um, who are trying to like, just maybe there. I mean, I had a client who was just motivated to help women of color get their finances in order and generational wealth was really important to her and helping them understand it. So like she was almost coming at it like a mission centered mm-hmm. reason for why she did the work she did. So how did you define your, I'm going to use the word niche here. It's a little overused, yeah, but sure. how did you define like who your people were? At that point, at that point, I was coming at it from somebody who had worked in the financial sphere on the corporate side, right? On the product side and knowing how few people were coming to me with the knowledge, with the understanding and the confidence to be able to ask the questions when they go into those advisor meetings and they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. And um, I always felt like before fee for service financial planning was a thing that that was something people needed, that they needed not so much. Yes, they need life insurance. Yes, they need to invest. Yes, they need to understand asset allocation. But what they need to understand first is what is the plan and the trajectory of their money long-term? So that's where I started. I started with, I am going to help you with your budget, with your management of your finances. So I was looking at people that just didn't have that together, felt underwater with their finances or just confused and not confident enough to be able to feel like they were doing a really good job with money. So I started like that. And what ended up happening is I ended up with more clients that came to me immediately that had businesses. So something, some way that I was communicating, that's who was getting drawn to me. So I was very quickly like, okay, here's your budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get that sorted. But let's look over here because we could budget and save and take away lattes or whatever it is that is your vice or we could make more money in your business, which makes all of that easier, right? Your finances on the personal side become less of a concern if you're not making minimum wage or if you're not making a limited capped income and you've got a business, let's fix the business. And so noticed not very, it didn't take me very long to be like, hold on, I don't want to do the personal business stuff or the personal finance stuff. I want to get an Let's improve it from a place where it's going to make a much bigger impact. So it, when you say like, how, how did I find my niche? I kind of like stumbled around and then watched who was coming to me and what were their actual issues. And I think, I think sometimes we get really, we get a lot of information about choosing a niche early. And I think it's not helpful because you're choosing an imaginary niche that you think you're great at servicing you might indeed be great at servicing a completely different thing. But if you're so focused one way, you miss the opportunity. So I think it's watching the market and I just let it naturally happen. Yeah, I mean, beautifully said. 
I had a similar experience. I actually wrote about it in my second book because after my first book came out, I was trying to figure out how to package the content and, you know, launched, launched a pilot, had a pilot run, went to launch the second iteration. And it was like crickets. I mean, plenty of people went and looked at the page, but meanwhile, I was getting other people reaching out about other things I did. Right. Like not right. the program I was trying to sell. And it, it, it was, it's funny to me how long it did take me uh, to realize what they all had in common. And this is why today I coach inspiring entrepreneurial women in their fifties and beyond and a few awesome men around creating new revenue streams and bigger impact and bigger income by mm -hmm. leaning into their existing network. And that all sounds really beautifully packaged, but that's a, like, that was a learned thing. That was a, yeah. but, it, but it's funny how if you're too focused on a certain audience as your like target audience, you're almost yeah. blinders up to who's actually coming to you for advice, yeah. support, and services. And so it sounds like you got that message fairly quickly and you also got a chance to, to play in the business entrepreneurial side of the finances and liked it. Um, I was really influenced by um, Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you that before I got that book, I spent mm -hmm. a conference, three days at a conference, asking everyone I talked to, how did you know when you could draw a salary? And how did you know how much salary you could draw? Mm -hmm. like how, basically, how did you know you could pay yourself? I didn't even say the word salary. Yeah. How did you know when you could pay yourself and how, yeah. much, how much to pay yourself? And the answers I got varied so dramatically that it was laughable. Like yeah. literally, these were successful people. Like I am talking to people who have successful businesses in the six figures plus. None of them had a reason for why they did what they did. <laughs> right. It's just because I needed the money yeah. because it was there. I don't because I'm scared. I want to leave the money there. Yeah. All the things. No, right? all the things. And so mm -hmm. I was so grateful. I think I was like only a few years into um, self-employment being like full-time that I was able to put in place that system. And even though my, my total gross revenue was low, right. I had profit for the first mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and I knew how much and I knew why I had that much and I knew how to grow it over yeah. time. And I'm so grateful because years later when my business blows up and, you know, I had had better systems in place, the finance stuff I was, you know, I knew, I knew about, and I could, I could tell you with full confidence that like my expenses are 30% or less. Like I, I can say things like that. I did not know that when you first start, you know, and it's just, I feel like what you're offering, particularly to people who already have a, a thriving business, mm -hmm. sometimes the math stuff and the finance stuff, that's not why we go in business. No, <laughs> most like, people, not at all. Not right? at all. Yeah. yeah. So I, so I, it sounds like, uh, is it, is it more coaches and like thought leader type people? Is it, or is it product-based people? Is it mom and pop shops? Like when you say entre entrepreneurship and business, small it business, it can mean so many things. So mm -hmm. who's, who's leaving more your market? I would say the vast majority of my clients now are service-based businesses. So they are marketing firms, uh, realtors, brokers, um, anybody in that sphere, uh, lawyers, that sort of thing that are running private practice. That's, that's the kind of um, service provider that for the most part, accountants, that sort of thing, where um, it's, it's always funny when I have clients will say to me, wait, you have accounting clients, the clients that are accountants? And I'm like, well, yeah, because again, they know the numbers very well, but the overall organization of business sometimes is not something that they've learned. So yeah, it, 
we are all really good at certain things and all really not good at other things. Right. <laughs> so professional, okay. professional service providers is like yeah. your space. Mm-hmm. There's so many, and so, so many reasons why they need that support. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of which, as your business has grown, you have met, I imagine over the last, you know, eight, 10 years, just so many different kinds of people. Plus there was the, the world you lived in before this mm-hmm. and all the worlds that you lived in before this, I should say. So when you think about staying in touch and you're seeing mm-hmm. about um, maybe that inner circle, you know, you're going to stay in touch. Like that's not really hard. It's not really much yeah. effort, but there's that second and third tiers or layers out the people that you maybe worked with a year ago or five years ago, but you like these people, but you don't really have a reason to work with them right now. Maybe it's yep. someone you see every year at a conference, mm-hmm. but not in between. How do you nurture and sustain these sort of weaker connections in your network? Any habits, philosophies, practices? I think the biggest habit that I've gotten into is if somebody pops into my mind for whatever random reason, as they do, I will reach out to them. So I have people that I've worked with, just thinking of like a guy that I reached out to last week, we probably worked together 11 years ago, but he popped into my mind. I I was thinking about, it was a joke and he was a funny guy in an office that I had. And I was like, Oh, Jeff. And so I just reached out to him and he reaches back and just like, Hey, how's it going? What's going on? I make a point with almost everybody that I meet to try and remember personal details. And So many people don't bother doing this, but even back in the day when I was in my sales jobs, I would, somebody would come in and they would be telling me about, okay, I can't make this decision because I've got this wedding that I have to go to this weekend and I'll get back to you or whatever. The first thing I'm always saying to that person is how was the wedding? Right. And ideally I've remembered that it's the nephew or whoever got married. Right. Or how old are your kids? Okay. They've got to be almost like, are they in kindergarten now? No, not yet, or whatever it is, but something where A, I care. I actually like knowing that about people. I talk to people everywhere I go. I'm one of those people. My husband's always like, do you have to talk to everybody? Like in the grocery store, I'm talking to the person in front of me and I'm not trying to sell them and not being weird. I just enjoy people and I enjoy people's stories. And so that sticks with me. Um, So I make a point of noticing I was good at that and then just making it habitual, not just something that you know, because otherwise, if you're not paying attention, you won't do it as much as you want. But that's just how I've always, always done it, always naturally have done it. But I write on business cards, like you have two kids, you were a stay-at-home dad, like all the things so that when we talk again, whatever that looks like a year from now, I'm going to be able to ask specific questions that are important to you, that are things like, hey, that interview was great. Okay. That's a great conversation starter. But if you actually know about a person and remember, it makes a much bigger impact, I think, long-term. You know, I just had a call yesterday with the first client in 2020 that hired me for a company event, a virtual company event to produce it. So it was the first time that, you know, someone was like, you've got this skills. We're trying to host a virtual event. You help us. So I haven't really seen, seen them since. Um, yeah. We had a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't continued to do online right. and now he's having a 70th birthday party. It's going to have to be virtual. He reaches right. out to me. And at the end of the call, he says, Hey, Hey, wait, before you go, I want to hear about your move to Philadelphia area. And also, are you still running? <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, it, like you said, it really like 
it, it's memorable to me yeah. that he a was up he's paying attention local like uh, mean to recent news like the mm-hmm. move is is in the last six months so like He's right. He's so he's following of, you somewhere, right? He's, he's like, oh, you know, he's he's seeing what I'm posting on LinkedIn and all that. He's sort of, oh, I see. I stay in touch with you on LinkedIn, which is another way to stay in touch. But yeah. that he remembered a conversation about the running and and like mm-hmm. how I was doing a 5K a month. He's like, oh, did you keep that up? So that like that that totally makes a shift, right? That's that's yeah. something. That's what you're talking about. Now yeah. you happen to be good at remembering details. You did mention writing things down on business cards, which Unless you're in some Asian uh, country culture, it's probably fine to do. Yeah. Um, yep. like remember global differences, but absolutely. How do you track all that? Like, are you a CRM person? Are you like a stack, you know, of index cards, a Rolodex? Like, how are you? I am. Are- I'm a little bit of all the things. So my my most current business cards that I have, if I have physical business cards, they're in a coffee cup on my desk. And they are to be added into the CRM. So I will try, I try very hard um, to stay on top of it and put those in very quickly. And then I put it in the notes. So the notes section of the CRM, that is the private notes for me, I can put in there ideally where I met them originally, what stood out about them. And I have to do it quick enough, right? I meet too many people. If I let that list, if I let that cup get full, I'm in big trouble because then I'm trying to remember is this the Stephanie that was this, or is this the Stephanie that was that? I can't remember. So I do really make a point of trying to do it right away. And I do make notes and then I review them um, before I get on a call with somebody, or if I'm reaching out to them, that's where I'm pulling up their contact information. And then that comes up and it is a handy reminder to be right there. If I don't have it top of mind. Discipline. I, I give you uh, much praise and admiration for having discipline to do that. Like I, I have attempted different serums over time and often they just get bloated. I make the mistake of saying, yes, connect to my email. Right. And then, and then every email gets, I'm like, oh, that's useless now. Mm-hmm. Um, you just made me think of a practice that I haven't really mentioned that I I do. When I accept a LinkedIn connection request, mm-hmm. um, I always send people a message which sort of introduces myself. And I start by saying, how did you, you know, stumble across my profile? What caught your eye? But if yeah. I know the answer, I yeah. write that answer in the intro. So like, hey, so glad we connected. Even if they didn't write anything, like oftentimes people don't. So usually people will connect within a day of meeting someone online or meeting in person. So I have to be like, why is this name familiar? Go and figure out what, what community or what list or what event they were on. And then I mention it. But that becomes my de facto database. So that right. if they pop up again, you go back to your like, messages. I go to my messages and I can yep. go back to the first thread and I can be like, oh, right. That's, that's where they are. You know, their origin story is, um, yeah. you know, and I know other people who use, you know, labels and Gmail to like track where cities people live in. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. I just think what you're saying though, is do it, like be consistent yes. about it and don't let that cup overflow. <laughs> yeah. Don't <laughs> let your cup get too full because then you'll forget everything and it won't. It's too hard. It's too hard. Um, so this has been a really fun conversation. We're about to get to my my sort of favorite ending question here, which is, you know, we're connecting, we're staying mm-hmm. in touch. That's going to happen. But it's yeah. a year from now and mm-hmm. we are celebrating all of your successes. What are we toasting? What are you, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? I am most looking forward to... 
what am I most looking forward to? I am most looking forward to real growth in my podcast audience. That's the, that's the one thing that I'm really working hard towards. So real growth at this point, I don't have a number and maybe I should have a number profit coach. What is wrong with me? Um, Shoemaker's children, right? So that I don't know. I don't know what that number would be, but let's say it's 10,000 downloads on the podcast by this time next year, we will be toasting with champagne for sure. We, we will be toasting. I can't wait to celebrate that with you again, folks. Since you like podcasts, go check out She Needs Grit podcast wherever you're listening. I'm sure you'll find it and yep. you can uh, subscribe and become part of uh, the world that follows the Samantha's content. By the way, speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Probably the best places to find me is on Instagram and it's shecollective.biz. Awesome. So we will have message me. We'll have that link and other links to your podcast and your website all on the show notes at uh, ontheschmooze.com. Samantha, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I look forward to cheersing this time next year. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Samantha. What was your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 276. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which of your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. And I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.